you would open up your Bibles with me now to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we continue our series of studies on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to pick up in verse 4, if you would follow along with me. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And to another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at the very beginning of this epistle, we come to find out that the church in Corinth did not lack one spiritual gift. That the Holy Spirit had worked so powerfully in that congregation that they had been endowed with all of the spiritual gifts that were made available to them. However, we also come to find out that the believers in Corinth began to use their spiritual gifts out of order, and it created an atmosphere of confusion. And one of the gifts in particular that was being frequently misused was the gift of tongues. And the Apostle Paul spent an entire chapter clarifying the purpose of this particular gift and its limitations within a congregational setting. Now, for some this evening, to even hear the phrase, gift of tongues, suddenly it raises alarm. You're wondering, oh man, I've been coming to this church for a while. It's been so good. Here it comes. I knew it was too good to be true. Maybe you're a little fearful. But let me calm your fears by reassuring you that nothing strange nor unbiblical will take place here. But the reason why people grow uncomfortable when they hear of this particular gift is because, primarily because of the abuses of this gift. They've seen assemblies gathered together, speaking all kinds of different languages at the same time. Some have gone so far as to convulse and shake and fall down, and all of these manifestations has been under the banner of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so often in those environments, there is chaos and there is confusion. But we'll see in a moment that the Apostle Paul points out that God is not the author of confusion. Now, there is some controversy that has arisen over this gift of tongues as well as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it has actually divided the church into more of the classical evangelical from the charismatic or the continuationist from the cessationist. 
The continuationist means simply this. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still continuing. They are still in operation today. That the day we don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore are when we're with Jesus. There's no need for the gifts in his presence. We're going to be like him and we're going to see him as he is, the Bible says. But then you have another group of our brothers and sisters in Christ who would be classified as cessationists. Perhaps some of our Baptist brothers or our Methodist brothers or sisters or maybe some Reformed believers would disagree and they would say that the gifts that we're speaking of here are not for today, that they've actually ceased with the apostles and there is no need for them any longer. The question is, how do they arrive at that conclusion? They come to that conclusion by one specific verse found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verses 8 through 10. And I have it up here. I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians 12, there it is. It says, but whether there are prophecies, they will, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Oh, continue. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. This is the part I want you to see right here. But when that which is perfect, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. They translate the word perfect, meaning the perfect canonization of Scripture. That which is perfect has come. There's no longer any need for the giftings of the Spirit. So that is what they translate that particular passage. But that which is perfect has come. Thinking to myself, yes, God's word is perfect, but that which is perfect has come. In, in its context, I believe, refers to Christ. When that which is perfect, he who is perfect has come. Who needs the gifts anymore? There's no need. He's here. We're with him. But that is how they arrive at that conclusion. And this is one of those areas, if you were with us on Sunday, that we can, listen carefully, disagree agreeably. This doesn't have to be a divisive issue. In many cases it is, but it doesn't have to be. I disagree with those uh, who would hold that that which is perfect refers to the canonization of Scripture. I believe it refers to Christ. But there's another aspect of this, and that is what so often solidifies the cessationist position as it relates to the gifts no longer being for today are those who use the gifts outside of their biblical parameters that God has established. And sadly, they dismiss the gifts altogether. Then you also have, on the other hand, those who are, if I may say, of a more Pentecostal persuasion, and you could take that verse down now, it's fine. Um, we got some new guys helping us out tonight, so it's all right. Just no worries, no problem. But you, hopefully you got that verse because that's a good one. Make note of that. But they suggest that the reason we no longer need these gifts, again, as I said, because that which is perfect has come. But then there's this other side of it. Those who are of a more Pentecostal persuasion, and they say this, unless you speak in tongues and have this gift, you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because that is the, according to them, the gift. And if you don't have that, then friend, you just haven't quite, um, we haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. And I do believe that that is also a misinterpretation of Scripture and of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it has caused many to become discouraged in their walk with the Lord. And for some, it's caused them to try to simulate or feign some kind of emotionalism to appease those who are making the assessment of whether or not the Spirit of God has actually come upon you. And so they, they try to manufacture it. 
Folks, can I say to you that the greatest demonstration of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life is whether or not your life has been transformed. You can speak in any kind of language you want, but if you don't have love, it really, it profits you nothing. If your life hasn't changed, it really doesn't matter. The gift of tongues is not something to be afraid of if its purpose is clearly understood. In its proper biblical context, it can be a blessing, listen carefully, to the individual believer. On the other hand, controversy, confusion occurs when well-meaning people go outside of the scriptural parameters that God has set up within the church and that are found within his word. It is my goal in just the time that we have this evening to take you through this chapter and to clear up confusion and prayerfully put your mind at ease and perhaps even incite a desire for a particular gift that you didn't think was available. Now let me begin by first of all answering some common questions before we get into the scriptural text by way of preface. First of all, what is the gift of tongues? And I want to answer that question by stating what it is not. It is not the ability to pick up on a foreign language quickly. That's not the gift. It is, however, the ability to speak in a language unknown to you previously in expressing your heart in worship and adoration to God. Second question, do all believers have the gift? And I'll add to that, is this the definitive and only identifiable gift that determines whether or not you've been baptized with the Spirit? To both of those questions, I say no. The Apostle Paul will point out that not all have this particular gift, and it doesn't make them any less spiritual as a result. Various members in the body of Christ have differing gifts one from another. It isn't a gift that is to be overstated, nor is it to be downplayed. Folks, it is a gift. It's a gift, one of them that's available. Even Jesus mentioned this particular gift. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 reads this way. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. That's what Jesus said in Mark 16. The first time we see this gift in operation or when it is given is in the book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 reads this way. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All 120 of the disciples who had gathered there in the upper room were empowered by the Spirit of God, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them the wonderful works of God. And they were all speaking 
in foreign languages, which they did not learn or know naturally. We're told that devout Jews from all over had gathered there at the Feast of Pentecost. There are some 17 different representations of people groups on the day of Pentecost that are listed in Acts chapter 2. And although to each one gathered in the upper room, the language they were speaking, it was unknown to them. It was an unknown tongue. But to the listeners in the crowd, they recognized the familiar dialect and they were amazed by what they heard being spoken as they were praising God. You go on in Acts chapter 2, and it says, this was the response of the people listening. They said, look, are not all these Galileans? And how is it that we hear in our own language in which we were born? We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. This was the first time that this gift was imparted to the believers there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It was unique on that particular day. A second example of the gift of tongues in the early church would be in Acts chapter 10. This time, Peter goes to the home of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. He was a centurion. And I encourage you to read through the book of Acts chapter 10. It will give you some clarity on what took place there. But let me just summarize by saying Peter comes to the home of Cornelius. He opens his mouth and he's about to present the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles and they respond and they are immediately filled with the Holy Spirit and they are speaking in other tongues. Another example of this would be in Acts chapter 19. This time it's during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul goes up to the area of Ephesus and he meets these believers, they're disciples, they're born again, they're Christians. But he realized that something was missing from their experience with the Lord. And he asked them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We didn't know about that. Nobody told us about this work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul prays for them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, the manifestation was that of the gift of tongues on this particular day. It is interesting to make note when Paul was converted and when Ananias came and prayed for Paul and his eyes were opened and he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that he spoke in tongues. It doesn't mention it. However, you come to find out later on from 1 Corinthians that he did speak in tongues. God had given him that particular gift. So the gifts were alive and well in the early church, and I believe that they're still available and accessible to the church today. But having said all of that, in Corinth, they needed instruction on the proper use of their gifts. And as we begin 1 Corinthians 14, that's what I'd like you to look at. Now, the Apostle Paul starts out with an exhortation of the church. Just, just follow with me, line upon line, precept upon precept, and I promise you, you'll understand. It's very simple. Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts that you may prophesy. I just want you to pause there and see what he says here. He says, I want you to pursue it. It means to go after it with intensity. You should desire spiritual gifts. It doesn't say run from spiritual gifts. It doesn't say don't have anything to do with them. The Bible says pursue them. Have a desire for spiritual things. In the midst of pursuing love and desiring these spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy, Paul goes on in verse 2, he says, for he who speaks in a tongue, and this is, this is to help you understand exactly what this gift of tongues is, what Paul does, and I love this, is he draws a comparison between two gifts. The gift of prophecy 
and the gift of tongues. This is what he says. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. Just make a note of that. Really important. He speaks not to man, but he's speaking to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. The first thing you come to realize about this particular gift is that we're to be speaking to God, not to man. I'm able to use this gift in different ways. For one thing, I'm able to use it in my own personal time of worship. The gift of tongues is unique to all the other gifts because its primary, primary function is for the individual believer and their relationship to God. I'm not speaking to you. You wouldn't understand. I'm speaking to God. That's the purpose of this gift. It is a blessing in my own personal time of worship. A believer may be assisted in his worship of God. And there are times when I might be in a personal time of worship with the Lord, contemplating his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his provision. And I get to that place in my worship where words cannot express what it is I want to say. And when prayer reaches its ultimate, someone said that words are inadequate. So the Lord gives unto me that prayer language whereby I might express my heart to him. I'm speaking speaking to him the wonderful praises that I may not necessarily understand at that moment. And I am bypassing my own sense of intellect and just, I'm just worshiping God. It's between me and my king, me and my savior. A second reason that this gift is a blessing, not only for personal time of worship, but personal time of prayer and intercession. Romans chapter eight, verse 26, Paul put it this way. He said, for we don't know how we should pray as we should, but... The Spirit will make intercession for us through, this is interesting, groanings that cannot be uttered. Have you ever just wanted to pray about something and you can't even like, uh, you can't even articulate what it, I don't even, uh, you know, just so exasperated, or just, I don't even know what to say. The Spirit of God knows what the heart of the matter is. He even can interpret the groanings. There are times in seeking to determine the will of God or you're interceding on behalf of another person who's struggling or they're bound in sin. And I don't even know what to pray for them as I ought to pray. I don't know what the mind of the Lord is in this particular instance. I don't know what the will of the Lord is. And so I'm given this gift where I can go beyond my own understanding and the spirit of God interprets those things that I'm trying to say through this gift and I'm speaking to the Lord. Ephesians 6.18 says this. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. An opportunity to use this gift in prayer. The first thing we understand about this gift of tongues is that I'm speaking to the Lord. He is the one I'm addressing. And here is where we need to point out a mistake. That can often happen. And it does happen. Again, many times in more... And again, I don't say this derogatorily, Pentecostal circles. I'm just going to say it. It's, it's the truth. This, this is a common error that happens sometimes. Where a person will stand up in the middle of the service and give an utterance in an unknown tongue. And someone else will give the interpretation, but the interpretation is not directed toward God. It's directed toward man. But if you're actually using that gift properly and you are interpreting it properly, it's not going to be directed toward man. The Bible says... It's going to be directed toward God. It's not going to be my little children, hearken unto me. This is what I say. Thus saith the Lord. That you're, no, 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 no. Sorry, brother. Hey, I appreciate your attempt, but that is not the proper use of that gift. That may be a word of prophecy, but it's not an interpretation because it would be directed toward God. That's what the Bible says. So when you see that happen, you can know right away that's, 
that's not biblical. That, that they made a mistake there. Was the tongue not real? Perhaps. Maybe it was real, but the interpretation was, in, it was wrong because it was directed toward man and not toward God. And so it's important to understand that. Paul makes the point, he goes on to say that tongues is not equal to prophecy and that the gift of tongues is not directed toward man. Thus you won't have someone, and this is again another mistake that you see from time to time. And I, I saw this in the South quite a bit. Someone preaching to the congregation in tongues. I mean, it's just strange. That's not biblical. That's not the purpose of the gift. I don't know how you could rip out or cross out 1 Corinthians 14 and do what you're doing and find validity for it and find biblical, you know, foundation for what you're doing. Listen, if it's not in the Bible, you shouldn't be doing it. I mean, it's very clear as it relates to spiritual gifts. Verse three, he who prophesies, this is the comparison, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Praise the Lord. Verse four, he who speaks in a tongue, here it is, look at this, edifies who? Himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. So what does that tell you about this particular gift? The primary purpose, again, is personal. It's a gift for us personally. I edify myself as from me to God, not me to you. Prophecy is from me to you. The gift of prophecy and operation, speaking forth the word of God. That, that is a gift that God uses in the body of Christ. Paul said, I wish you all prophesied. I wish you all spoke the word of God in that way to one another. But the gift of tongues is for the purpose of edifying oneself. Now, some may say, well, why even use the gift if you don't understand what the point is anyway? Paul declares that of all the gifts that are in operation and all the gifts that are available and in use, tongues is the one gift compared to all of them that benefits you personally. Look at the list. All these other gifts, they primarily are ministering to others. This is the one gift out of the list that its primary function is for the individual person as opposed to the congregation corporately. All the other gifts are focused upon ministering to the church corporately where tongues is given for the edification personally. Verse five, just continue. It's very clear. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Ha! Which would be great for you, right? If you all spoke in tongues, that'd be great for you. But even more that you prophesied. Why? Because that would be great for the church. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in a tongue, unless indeed he interprets that the church might receive edification. This would be, Paul said, I wish you all had this gift. That'd be great. But, but the implication is not everybody does. I wish you did, but not everybody does. And he doesn't chide them for that. He just makes a point. Not everybody has that gift. It is a gift. And what a blessing. I wish you all had it for your benefit, but I really wish you all prophesied because that'd be the benefit for the whole church. He draws a comparison. If this gift is the desire of your heart, then I would say, ask the Lord for it. Ask the Lord for it. I must say, personally, personal testimony here, just for a moment, when I received this gift from the Lord, and again, I don't say that, say, oh my goodness, he has the gift. I, I don't, that, that would be the wrong purpose. I, I even hesitate to share that with you, but I'm just giving you the example. When I received that gift from the Lord, it was a struggle for me. A struggle for me. It, personally, I thought, this is so foolish. And the enemy was right there. What do you think you're saying? 
You're not saying anything and nobody knows what you're saying. And God certainly doesn't, you're, you know, just the whole, like, there's just this, okay, stop. You know, and I just, I, you have to fight through that because it goes against your intellect and, and, and you think God really hears you? That's what I was fighting through when the Lord gave me this particular gift. And I remember the day I received it. I've never forgotten it. And it was unique. It was what God did in my life at that time. Do, do I go around asking everyone, hey, um, can I share my prayer language with you? Would you like to hear that? No, never. Never do that. I would doubt that anybody in this room, apart from my wife, has ever heard me pray in this way. Of course, the Lord has, but that, that's the primary use of it. I don't go around asking everybody because I'm praying to the Lord in the secret place and he sees in secret rewards openly. Now, having dealt with the contrast and the comparison, Paul moves, here's some practical conflicts that would arise if this gift were used in the wrong way like it was being used in Corinth. You ready for it? Just follow it. Verse six, but now brethren... Here's a problem. If I come to you speaking with tongues, what am I going to profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Just, just think about that. Just think about that question. Paul says, if I show up and you give me the opportunity to stand behind the pulpit and I'm going to teach you, and I just start speaking in an unknown language, nobody speaks the language. Who's going to benefit from that? The answer is very simple. No one is going to benefit from that because nobody understands what you're saying. It's not a benefit to the church. And then he gives other examples. And I, I like how Paul does this. Look at verse seven. Even things without life. Think about this. Let me give you another example. He says, a flute or a harp. When, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how's it going to be known what, what is piped or played? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who's going to prepare for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words that are easy to understand, how is it going to be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. I mean, there's a certain way that a bugle can play that it means this is time for bed, this is time for food, and this is time to go into battle. If you don't play the right sound, there's chaos. Was that the mess call? Was that, are we supposed to eat now? Are we supposed to go to bed? Because in the middle of the afternoon, who is blowing the trumpet? It makes no sense. Nobody has benefited. The army is discomfited. They're confused. And such is the case with the people of God. If somebody shows up and just, they just start going off and everybody's, they're just speaking into the air. Nobody's, nobody understands what they're saying. Nobody's benefiting from it. In the corporate setting of the church, he goes on. Verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, he goes from an instrument being played to a foreign language. Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he will be a foreigner to me. If you've ever traveled to a foreign country and they don't speak the language or you don't speak their language, it can be very confusing and difficult to understand what they're trying to say. You go down to hand motions, Google, okay, let me, let me read this. Oops, that, no, sorry, delete. That's not what I meant to say. You, I mean, it's very confusing. They're trying to point, are you want me to go here? You don't want me to go there? Being, being in Eastern Europe as a young man, I remember being over there and taking teams over there and doing street evangelism and all kinds of different ministry. And I remember being in, and a man was trying to speak to me and I, I, I don't know. 
He was mad or angry. I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what he said. And I came to find out later, did you know that there are, in, in, in Hungarian, there are 40 different conjugations of the word go. I mean, try to figure that out. I, I didn't have time. I came home. I, I don't know what that means. I mean, here it's like, go, get out of here. I mean, there's different, but there are 40 different ways you can say go. A difficult language to be sure. But, but another example, you know, from an instrument played not properly, from a language spoken, nobody knows what you're saying. Paul says, let me give you another example if these aren't enough. How about public prayer? Verse 12. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Listen, it's great that you desire spiritual gifts. It's wonderful that you want to grow in these areas, but let your motivation for these gifts be for the edification of the body of Christ. And, and the way that you're using this gift is not edifying the body of Christ. Thus, you are misusing the gift that God's given you. And the implication that you can see in this text is that that's exactly what they were doing. Paul was saying, I'm, I'm thankful that you guys are into the spiritual gifts and you believe in them and you're exercising. You're just, you're not doing them according to God's scriptures. You're not doing them according to the word. So here is the parameters. Here are the boundaries that are set. And then he goes on to say, here's how this gift operates and pay close attention. Verse 13, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Well, what is the conclusion then? This is the question. What's the conclusion? Here's what Paul said. I will pray with the spirit and I'll also pray with understanding. I'll sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Let's say we're in a prayer meeting and we're all praying and, and I'm a, you're praying about this or we're praying about the Philippines or we're praying about our team tonight. If I got up here and just started praying in a prayer language over this group that was here tonight, you'd say, what is Pastor John saying? I can't say amen to that. I don't know what he's praying. I'm not sure what he's saying. I, I've never even heard that language before. Is that a language? Suddenly there's confusion. You're not edified. You can't say amen. Paul's saying these, these are very real practical problems that happen when you use these gifts in an abusive way. And that was what was happening in the church. And that's what's happening in the church today. No one's being edified. No, nobody's, un, there's just absolute confusion. And verse 18, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. But notice this, yet in, and I have this underlined, yet in the church, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. In the church, I want you to understand. I want you to be edified. I want you to leave this place being encouraged and built up in your faith. If I spoke in a language you didn't understand, you wouldn't. Bottom line, tongues is a 
blessing to the individual believer, but in the church, in the corporate setting, it's better to speak in a way that people can understand rather than what they cannot understand. We come to the conclusion, we get the idea. Paul says, ultimately, it's great, it's beneficial for the individual believer, for personal worship, for personal edification, where prophecy is more beneficial for the entire body of believers. They can understand you, they can receive from you, but with tongues, you're speaking to, to God and not to men, whereas prophecy, you're speaking to men and they're able to receive it. One other example that Paul uses, and, and, this, is, and this, is, this can be a confusing one for folks, but I want to encourage you, and, and let me just say this, as you read through the Bible, it's so important to read the Bible in its context. And by context, I mean the verses before, the verses after, in its context. Don't just take a section of scripture out and develop, but that's how false doctrines get started. People say, well, this is what it says. Yeah, but, but it also, if, if, if we're to believe what you say, it says that contradicts this and it contradicts that, and you're not reading it in its context. So here's the context. Paul's talking about the gifts, how they cause, um, the gift of tongues will cause confusion if it's not used properly. And he cites, and again, there is some differing opinion on this particular passage I'm about to read, but he cites an example from the Old Testament where that was happening. Just, just follow along and hopefully I'll be able to help you understand this. In verse 20, he says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. And they were. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. He's encouraging them. You guys need to grow up on this. this is, you're, you're being immature with these things. In the law, now here's where he cites the Old Testament, taken from Isaiah. He said, in the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Now notice the next phrase, Paul says. Therefore, that is in the context of what he's talking about from Isaiah, therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. (laughs) What? Paul desired that the church in Corinth be mature in understanding, also that they would be innocent concerning that which was evil. The misuse of the gift of tongues showed a sign of immaturity and a lack of understanding. And to make that point more clear, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, which at first reading appears to contradict everything he said up to this point. But he looks at what happened during Isaiah's day to show an example to the Corinthians. Are you following me? For some, these verses have caused confusion because it appears, as I said at first reading, that Paul would be, had things backwards, that suddenly his position had changed unless you read it in its context. I think it's important to understand that in Isaiah 28, which is the passage that Paul alludes to, do you know what was going on when Isaiah was prophesying? Let me share with you what was happening. During that time, the Jews were criticizing the teaching and prophesying ministry of Isaiah. They were not listening to him. They would not listen. He was speaking words that they could understand. They did not receive it. They would not hear it. They would not repent and they would not respond to it. These people of God were living like unbelievers. They weren't listening to what was being said. Thus an act of judgment, as an act of judgment, the Lord sent Israel individuals, listen, that did not speak their language as a sign to them 
because they did not believe in the Lord. Yet, when he sent to them who did not speak their language, they still didn't listen and repent. So, so he sent Isaiah, spoke the language they understood, they didn't listen. And then he sent others who didn't speak a language they understand, and they still didn't repent. And it was a sign to them in that day who were unbelievers. In Isaiah's day, they did not respond. In the same way, it appears from the context that the Corinthian church could speak in various languages, but it would not produce conversion of the hearers in that setting. The result would be the same in Corinth as it was in Isaiah's day. Now you can read over that passage and you can do your own study and you may have some other ideas about it. It is a difficult passage, but to the best of my ability, I believe in its context that that is what is being referred to. When the Hebrews were obedient, God sent them teachers they could understand. Therefore, prophecy, it was for the believers. However, when the Hebrews were disobedient and unbelievers, God sent them teachers in a foreign language and they didn't understand and they didn't receive. I believe that Paul was referring to this single event in Jewish history to point out their need for obedience to everything he's exhorting them to do. I'm telling you to do things in order. I'm saying this is for the edification of the whole body. This is for the edification of the individual is, is the, the emphasis. Now, finally, the confines of the church. How are we supposed to use this gift in the church? Does the Bible even tell us how we're to use this gift in the church? It actually does. Now pay close attention. Again, this is quite liberating and, and it really brings a lot of insight where there's been confusion. Verse 23, therefore, here's, here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's the context. Therefore, if the whole church That'd be us right here, let's say, for example. Here we are, the church. Comes together in one place and all speak with tongues. And there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Paul asks the question, will they not say you are out of your mind? And the answer to that question is, that's exactly what they're going to say. But, he says, on the other hand, if all are prophesying, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. Paul says that's what's going to happen. If a non-believer comes in, they see just, what are all these people doing? Talking all these different things. This is crazy. I'm out of here. And they run to their car and they peel out never to return. As opposed to him coming into a place where the word of God is spoken from the pulpit, from the people, from the children's ministry, from the world. And it's just, he's convicted. He understands what's being said. The spirit of God is making application and he repents of sin and recognizes that truly God is among them. I remember when I was a younger man, I was working at a restaurant with a friend of mine and I was really wanting, and, and it was me and they had a, another friend who was, he's a little Pentecostal guy. He was, he's a great guy. He was a good brother, but he went to one of those churches where they, if they had chandeliers, they swang from them. And it was just, they just were really, and I say that to say they were just super emotional and it's great. God meets people there. God meets people right there. And, um, but this guy who was a coworker of ours, I'd been working on for weeks. Please come to church with me. Please come to church with me. His name was Jack. Jack, please come to church with me. Please come to church with me. And I would beg him and he didn't, you know, didn't want. And then finally, um, we were working on getting him to come. I wanted him to come to Monday night. Pastor Greg was preaching back in those days. I thought, man, you just need to come with me. I'm going to take you and we're going to hear the gospel. You're going to get saved, Jack. And, uh, but 
my other friend convinced him to come to his church because he was in the choir and they were doing a performance. And I was like, oh man, okay, but I'm going too. I got to make sure what goes down. And sure enough, we show up and Jack, so you could tell he was nervous just getting in the building. You know, we come in, our friend is, is you know, doing his thing. And I love the choir, it was great. And then the show began. And then the, the, <laughs> the chaos ensued. Suddenly there was somebody in front of us and I'm not going to do what they did, but they were shaking convulsively and every, just a, a, and a chorus of the tongues. just And I looked at Jack next to me and, and his eyes got huge. He did exactly what Paul said. He went out of the building and he's a chain smoker. He's just like, and we drove him. So we had to wait till the thing was over. And he never, to my knowledge, he, he never would. I said, after I was like, Jack, listen, not all churches are like that. Please come to my church. He was like, no, 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 I'm never gonna, never gonna go again. And it didn't happen. This is exactly what happened. He, he thought they were crazy. And I could understand his thinking in that regard. Paul says in verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm. You have a teaching. You have a revelation. You have a tongue. You have an interpretation. Let all, be, all things be done in order for edification. Folks, here at Calvary Chapel, um, we don't have people stand up while the service is going on and speaking in tongues because, well, for one thing, the word of God is being taught and we don't believe that the Holy Spirit would interrupt himself and that God is a God of order, that the gift of prophecy is in operation prayerfully and that, again, the Spirit of God wouldn't interrupt himself. So in the presence of a congregational meeting with unbelievers present, we, we, we don't want to confuse anyone. But Paul says to the church here, how, how is that when you guys get together, everybody has to, everybody's got something, everybody's got to talk, everybody's got to, and there's no, like, what is going on here? What is happening here? This is out of order. That's what, that was going on in Corinth. And Paul didn't say, great job. I'm really glad things are out of order. He said, stop doing that. You need to be doing these things for edification. And then you get to verse 27. Here's the guidelines. We're almost through. He says, if anyone, okay, if anyone, let's say if, mark that, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. I mean, that's so clear. I mean, how do you get confused? You know how you get confused? You just jump over 1 Corinthians 14. You just don't read it. You just don't read it. You don't teach your church that. And I think that's what causes the confusion. That, that's why people turn away from the gifts. Like they see the abuses of the gift and they say, I don't want anything to do with it. That is crazy. That's bizarre. I would never, I don't understand what that, what is all of that? And, they, and so rather than just follow the guidelines, notice the word if, two or at the most three and one interprets. And that is in a setting where that, where that gift, where we have a meeting perhaps where that gift is in operation. Like tonight. After service, we're dismissing you. You're able to go home. You go home. But if you'd like to stay, we're going to stay. We're going to spend some time just waiting on the Lord. And that would be an opportunity for those gifts to be in operation. But even in that setting where you have believers present, one, two, one has got to interpret. And, if, and then he says, if there's no interpreter, then keep silent. So for example, let's say we're in this meeting 
and it's opened up in that sense. We're just going to wait on the Lord. These gifts are going to be operation. And somebody speaks in an unknown tongue. If I was overseeing that meeting, I'd say, hey, everybody, let's pause. Brother, thank you for that. Let's, let's wait and see if the Lord gives us an interpretation. Let's wait on the Lord. Let's see what the Lord says. Let's just wait. And if somebody says, thus saith the Lord, I'd say, brother, I appreciate that. But that is not an interpretation because right here, chapter verse, they'd be speaking to God. So thank you. There might've been a word of prophecy, but let's just, let's continue to wait. And if there's no interpreter, if nobody interprets what was said, the next step would be, hey, everybody, um, from, from here on out, if you want to pray in your prayer language, just do it, you know, between you and the Lord, under your breath, so not everybody can hear because we, no one was able to interpret. So let's follow what the scripture says and let's keep going. I mean, that, that's it. There's no chaos. There's no bizarrety. There's nothing weird. There's nothing aberrant. There's nothing strange. It's just, it's good. It's a blessing. Folks, listen, this is a good gift for you personally. And there's times that God can use it corporately, but it's in the boundaries that God has set. You know, today you think about, it's like seeing somebody who's abused food, for example. Let's say someone, you know, you see somebody and you see these things from time to time where people, you know, they weigh 500 pounds if that's possible. Let's say somebody weighed 500 pounds. And that'd be, they couldn't walk, they couldn't move. Um, you'd say, I'm never going to eat food again. Why? Because that person weighs 500 pounds. It's, the food wasn't bad. It was the abuse of it. So just because it's abused doesn't mean that it's not right or that it's not good or that it can't be healthy or blessing. Understand? And the same, same way with these gifts. And so verse 29, here's what he says. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, well, let the first keep silent. You can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets, meaning there's gonna be a level of self-control. Sometimes I just couldn't control myself. No, you can. The spirit of God, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So... If you're filled with the Spirit, then you're going to be controlled by the Spirit. You notice have this outburst. And he says in verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as is in all the churches of the saints. And he goes on to talk about women in ministry. And apparently in Corinth, they had uprisings with the women. And he said, listen, tell the, the gals that are just speaking out of turn, talk to their husbands when they get home. That's another Bible study. I'm not, I don't have time to go into that. <laughs> talk to your husband about it. He'll explain it when you get home. But then finally... I want you to see verse 39 and 40, and this is the conclusion. He said, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking with tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. It seems today in the church, you either have all things being done or you have decently and in order. <laughs> but the Bible says all things being done. There's a balance, all things being done decently and in order. And as long as we will apply these things that God has, folks, we won't, we won't get confused. There won't be people unsure of what it is we're doing. This gift is a blessing. It is a gift. If you don't have a desire for that gift, that's between you and the Lord. But it is a blessing. And it's something that if you desire it, ask him. You know, I'll use the final example, and it is a personal one, if you don't mind. But my wife, after she got saved, she, um, of course, desired all that God had for her, like most of us. And she was with some gals that were, um, 
you know, well-meaning. And they brought her into the circle and they huddled around her in chairs. And they, they were trying to help her speak in tongues. I just say, and they, they were really working it up. And my wife was like, and she just, and, and they, and they kind of they made her feel like, oh, you know, oh, so, sorry. <laughs> and she was really discouraged by that. And just, you know, it was just such a discouragement for her. And she felt like, man, Lord, maybe I missed it. And, you know, but, but it was just, it was, it was the wrong timing and the method. I don't, think, I don't think the desire was wrong to see them have, see her have that gift, but I think the method was um, not the best way to go about it. But later on in her walk with the Lord, the Lord gave her that gift. And praise the Lord. It was something he did on his terms, his way. It was something that she desired and something that she asked for. And, and God provided it. Listen, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. It, it is a gift. Praise God. So folks, listen, he's a good God. He gives us these gifts because he loves us, but let's, let's use them in the way that he intended them to be used for personal edification. So Calvary Chapel, where do you stand? We're continuationists. We believe that the gifts are still in operation and I, I want to say this. I do believe there are moments, like tonight, for example, after the service, after we dismiss, where you have moments where you got believers that are gathered, waiting on the Lord, praying, operating in those gifts that they have, whether it's word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, etc. You know, the, the, that's a great, or tongues even, in that matter, if there's an interpretation, as we just read. And then I also believe that there are times when folks were just, if you're walking in the Spirit, you are walking in the gifts, it's like, okay, everybody, stop right where you are. Now we will exercise the gifts. Prayerfully, you've been exercising those gifts. It's just very, it's, it's supernatural, but it's natural. You're just, you're just walking in, intermingling with people, and you're talking, and the gift, the prophecy's coming out, the word of wisdom, word, I mean, it's just, you're just walking in it. It's not like, okay, now we're gonna do it. For the next 10 minutes, use the gifts. Let's just use them all the time, you know, whenever we need to use them. It's just this one particular gift is primarily used personally for edification, primarily. Not the congregation so much, although it can be, as Paul gave the parameters, but primarily every other gift should be in operation all the time because we're walking in the Spirit. Hopefully, that gives you some clarity and some peace of mind and a desire. God, whatever gifts you, I just, whatever you want to do, I just open my hands. Just whatever gifts you have for me, if I kind of shoved it down or didn't believe it was for today, Lord, I, I want that. I want that gift. Will you pray with me? <sighs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the gifts of the Spirit are from heaven. <laughs> they're from you. They're, they're things that you give. They're not things that we can give to one another, but they only come from you. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. And Lord, you told us to desire spiritual gifts, but especially that the best gift was love. The fruit of the Spirit was love. I pray that that would be seen, Lord. We would walk in that. Lord, I pray if there are any here tonight who maybe desire those spiritual gifts, Lord, that you would impart those to them just, just because you're just good, Lord. You're just good like that. And they wouldn't have to doubt or fear, but could receive and rejoice. And uh, Lord, maybe for those that have come out of backgrounds that they've been hurt or they've been um, 
scared off from the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray they go back to the word and just see there's such freedom in, in operating in these gifts and that they're a blessing from the Lord. And uh, we just thank you for them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?